but God's first language is silence. And if you really want to find out who you are, you know, you can find that out in your silence. You know, you, you find out your anxieties in silence. And so one of the things, the practices we might want to take up for ourselves is, you know, a quiet walk, you know, a quiet run. What's your life like with quiet? This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm your host, Melissa Rao, and this is a conversation inspired by Bishop Wright's Four Faith Weekly Devotion sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe in the episode's description. Now, during Lent, Bishop Wright is doing a video series, Growing in the Wilderness, and you can check that out at EpiscopalAtlanta.org. Good morning, Bishop. Good morning. So it's now Lent, and your devotion is called Clear. Jesus, it's about Jesus being in the wilderness and how God often uses that wilderness time to help refine us and gives us clarity on God in our lives. And so can you say more about what Lent even is? Like, is it a self-imposed wilderness? (laughs) Well, maybe it could be. So Lent is that wonderful season that the church uh, holds, uh, commends, offers, um, so that you and I can have a good reason to walk away from our normal routines um, that have taken us over in a lot of places, the ruts that we've sort of committed to, uh, maybe even the excesses that have become a normal part of life, uh, and to be called away, as we say in our tradition, to the keeping of a holy Lent. Now, the keeping of a holy Lent means uh, some certain practices, right? It means uh, the study of scripture. It means even fasting, uh, right? It means uh, repentance. It, it means uh, following, if we follow the, the sort of rhythm of, of, of our tradition, it means taking a moment to think about the ways in which I'm living, which are perpendicular to God. In other words, where am I out of sorts with God and how I'm living? So it's a, it's a time of reflection. Uh, and it's a time of prayer. A lot of times people will use Lent to abstain from uh, from drinking or from sweets or those sorts of things. And those are all good. And But, you know, even atheists have willpower. So it's not about <laughs> willpower, right? It's about more than willpower. It, it, it's about trying to declutter for a season so that you and I can get a little clearer. And that's why I named the first meditation uh, clearer. And so, you know, Lent starts off in terms of scripturally, it starts off with Jesus in the wilderness. And Jesus in the wilderness, he's fasting for 40 days. And in this instance, he encounters uh, the devil, he encounters evil. And so what I want to hold up through this entire series is the ways in which we can grow in the wilderness, because the wilderness is generative. It's a generative space uh, in all of the faith traditions. It's not just the absence of conveniences or food or necessities. It is also the presence uh, of, in, in a lot of ways, it's the presence of God in an undiluted fashion. And so if you look at our, our Hebrew brothers and sisters, our Jewish brothers and sisters, you know, they would talk, to, talk about God as the God of the wilderness, 
And so what I want to argue for the next five weeks, really, is that God does God's best work in the wilderness of our lives, whether it's the wilderness we keep uh, as we try to keep a holy lit, or it's the wildernesses that happen to us or that we even put ourselves in. So back to the devil. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Uh, You wrote, it wasn't the devil of Hollywood movie fame who seduces us into sin, but the devil of the Bible that comes to test us with his questions. Yeah. So he and we can know the integrity and durability of the truths we claim. And I'm wondering if you can unpack that a bit for us, especially when it comes to the idea of good versus evil and temptation. So I guess what I want to try to do, and I, we've talked about this some some months before in a nutshell, but what I want to do and hold up for people is the Hebraic notion of the devil, right? So the Hebrew notion of the devil is not the dude in a red suit, you know, with a pitchfork sitting on your shoulder saying, go ahead, Rob, you know, have that extra dessert, right? It's not, it's not that guy, right? Um, uh, the Hebraic devil is the devil who comes to ask you the questions. And so in Jesus's temptation, right, he doesn't force Jesus to do anything. In fact, what he does, which is really insidious, is, is that he uses scripture to ask Jesus some questions. So it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a, a jeopardy round uh, with the devil, and it's just that Jesus has the right answers and he's able to situate the answers in the context. So the devil asks him, scriptural questions and Jesus gives the uh, the scriptural answer, but that's upstream of the devil's question. So I guess what I want people to realize is, is that the devil's not necessarily forcing us to do anything. It's just checking out what we really believe, just trying to find the crack in what we say is true for us. So that's what I mean, the integrity of what we say. So are we really committed to loving God and loving neighbor? Are we really committed to equity and justice? Are we really committed to sharing? The devil would ask questions like that. The devil would say, hey, let me see your checkbook. <laughs> or let me let me see your, uh, your mobile banking. I'll tell you what you really care about, right? Um, so, so I guess I'm just trying to reclaim that for people and sort of, sort of make the devil less of a sort of a Hollywood-inspired boogeyman. And, you, and yeah, go ahead. You, well, you said something really interesting. You said, you know, that Jesus's answer is upstream of what the devil was actually trying to even get to because, yeah. uh, and I'm wondering, I, I feel like that's a practiced art Bishop. And I know that you are on your own journey of, of asking provocative questions and answering questions that are upstream. And I'm curious if you've got more insight into what that skill entails. Well, yeah. And I think that's the best way to learn, isn't it? So, I mean, you know, in my own development as a preacher, and I hope maybe even a teacher, you know, I, I was really committed to sharing knowledge for a long, long time. And and, and there's, there's always a place for that. Um, but I, I think that, uh, you know, in the, in the, I've learned uh, and am persuaded now that the better way to do that is to ask really good questions and or try to fashion questions. So put more emphasis on questions than answers so that people of their own volition and out of their own agency could arrive at their own answer. And Jesus does this again and again and again and again. What do you want, he says, you know, to, to, to some people? And would you be healed by other people and, uh, you know, to other people? So so Jesus, I'm, I'm watching Jesus ask a lot more questions than he, than he provides answers. And so I think there's, he's a genius there. He's try, There's a pedagogy there. He's trying to teach us something about and of course, what's the upshot? The upshot is just not so I can spit back dumb information. 
the impact, the, you know, what is he's trying to affect in us is, is that you and I lay claim to things in our own soul and our own flesh and out of our own lives. And so to do that, you and I have to wrestle, right? And so that's why it's hard to give a little elevator speech in the way that we do religion in the Episcopal Church, right? Because, uh, you know, our bumper sticker would be like, hey, this stuff is really hard. Come wrestle with us. That would be our bumper sticker, right? <laughs> Which is not that sexy, right? It's not persuasive. I mean, maybe. Maybe, but probably not, right? You know, come wrestle with the Bible and, and real life with us, right? Um, so maybe that would be provocative. But that's what's happening here. And that's what happens in the wilderness. And so when that happens in Jesus's own wilderness, he gets clearer, right? So uh, at the end of his wilderness time, he's really clear. And then he embarks on his public ministry, right? And so it's out of having fended off you know, these other possibilities for his life, now he moves into a real clear purpose for his ministry, right? And so then he walks around Galilee and he interacts with all kinds of people. And uh, and we really see him be effective and productive. Um, you know, he, he fends off physical hunger. He fends off loneliness and scarcity, all those sorts of things. And he grows. He grows in real depth. Now, I want to say, too, upstream of the wilderness, he only comes into the wilderness with one thing in Scripture. He comes into the wilderness knowing that he is God's beloved. That's what we hear. The clouds break open in one version of the story or the other, and we hear, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? So all he has to deal with the wilderness of life is this deep uh, affirmation by God. And that's all you and I have really too, which is that we have the community of the saints, the men and women who've gone before us into various wildernesses. And we have this affirmation of God knowing that you and I uh, are pleasing to God, not all of our choices, but at our core, we are pleasing to God. And so then the wilderness becomes a finishing school for us. And so it is, we either, and and the, the truth of life is, is that we're either going into a wilderness in a wilderness or just coming out of a wilderness. I mean, think about regular life, right? We're either heading into a storm in the midst of a storm or just just sailing free of a storm. And so, you know, to learn your lessons in the wilderness is really a part of Christian maturity. Who is this God in the wilderness? Can this God be trusted in the wilderness? Uh, you know, should I lose my head when scarcity uh, you know, and uh, affliction come? No, because this God does God's best work in the wilderness. And that's a part of how we have a real friendship with God. We know, uh, you know, sort of how God thrives and where God thrives. And then we begin to know our role in wilderness. All right. Well, we're going to talk more about the wilderness after a short break. Hi, listeners. This is your producer, Easton Davis, thanking you for listening to Four People, a space of digital evangelism. We are in week two of Growing in the Wilderness, a five-part Latin video series from Bishop Wright. Watch each week with a friend and download the Reflection Guide to take a deeper dive. Join us in keeping a holy Lent. Learn more at EpiscopalAtlanta.org. And now back to Four People. 
Welcome back to Four People. Uh, Bishop, right before the break, you were talking about the wilderness and, and what the wilderness may provide for us, especially in terms of clarity. Yeah. And because we are in Lent, um, I'm wondering if there are you know practical things that we can do in order to, I don't know, again, I, I'm bringing up the self-imposed Lent idea or the self-imposed wilderness, like we're seeking clarity if yep. we're doing it intentionally. So do you have yep. any practical advice? Oh, yeah. One of the things we get in the wilderness, which which translates for us now is, is that, you know, it's quiet. Right. And I've said on this podcast before, God's first language, God speaks many languages, but God's first language is silence. And if you really want to find out who you are, you know, you can find that out in your silence. You know, you, you find out your anxieties in silence. Um, and so one of the things, the practices we might want to take up for ourselves is, you know, a quiet walk, you know, a quiet run, something, whatever, a quiet dog walk, right? You know, I mean, what's your life like with quiet? You know, people laugh at me because I'm not, you know, they know that I get up at about four o'clock in the morning. Well, I don't set my alarm clock. It's just sort of the internal alarm clock, but I, I've learned to love that time because it's quiet. It, nobody's nobody's talking. Uh, nobody's emailing me. Uh, I'm not emailing anybody. Um, and it's a time, uh, you know, some of the richest times I've had in my life have been sitting quietly, maybe with a coffee, maybe not, in that wonderful pregnant little time where darkness turns to day. And, and it's a place where I can hear myself think. Uh, it's a place where I can reflect on, you know, some piece of scripture, some story comes to mind. Sometimes, you know, this is why we have to read scripture. So it gets in there. We have an archive. And so sometimes without us even calling up something in particular, something comes back, is called to mind. We can sit there and chew on that. Uh, we can make our way through some book of the Bible. One of the things that I like particularly to, to say to people in terms of practice is, is that we could get real honest and, and say to ourselves, you know, what we struggle with. Like, am I struggling with anxiety? Maybe you pray for 40 days about anxiety. You sit quietly with that thought. Uh, maybe, um, uh, you know, may, maybe if you've been uh, refusing to go see the marriage counselor, maybe, maybe you use Lent for that, you and your beloved. Um, uh, you know, those things that are, causing chaos in your life. Uh, maybe we find the courage and lent to confront them, right? Um, sometimes there are broken relationships that we have. Uh, for 40 days, what would it be like to pray with the person that has hurt you, to pray for the person who has hurt you the most um, so that you can cough up all of that mucus, so, so I look at Lent as really a great opportunity. I'm a Lenten Christian. I mean, I'm an Easter guy, but I'm a Lenten Christian, right? Because I know that the best Easter's are built by having a holy Lent. And so my Alleluia has volume. You know, the volume goes up on my Alleluia and Easter if I really do my work. If I sort of have a mealy mouth, uh, you know, Lent, then I'll have a mealy mouth, you know, sort of uh, constrained Easter. So I always encourage people, you know, do your work. You know, this is a great invitation. Do your work. And so so that you can grow, you know, even in this wilderness. I love it. Um, Bishop, you have a prayer at the end for us. And 
uh, you expressed your hope that we'd claim our purpose in the service of Jesus Christ and neighbor. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you can wrap us up with talking more about claiming our purpose. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is what Jesus finds in the, in the wilderness, right? I mean, he, he gets his, his gets clarity. I think this is what's so difficult about our, our society these days is that we're just bombarded. I mean, the way life feels right now, it feels like I'm walking down an overstocked, you know, aisle in the grocery store. I mean, there's a, there's a bazillion choices to make and I'm just overwhelmed. Right. And, you know, one of the things that Lent can produce in us is a real uh, thirst for simplicity. What would it be like to simplify life? And so I guess that's, that's uh, where purpose can be born too, is, is that if I get really connected to my clear purpose, right? If I, you know, sort of talk about what is essential and what is additional, um, then I can get sort of get clear about how do I want to spend my time? You know, in Lent, we begin Lent on a day called Ash Wednesday, for those who don't know, and we smear ashes on uh, foreheads and we say, uh, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. And some people think, oh my God, how morbid, you know, and it, if you even do it on a little baby, you know, I've done it on little babies and you think, oh my God, how out of place, right? But no, actually it's not morbid. What we're, what we're saying in, in, in some ways is, is we're saying, number one, you know, when we're under construction, we create dust. So I'm under construction is what I'm saying. Number two, what I'm saying is, is that uh, uh, life has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And all of it's precious. And so I better get about the business of living. And so if I, if I feel like there's some urgency here, because I know at some point all flesh goes down to the grave, then, then how can I live you know, abundantly today? So that would drive me to how do I want to spend my time? You know, how has God equipped me to impact this planet positively? And that gets me to purpose, you see. So now how do I want to spend my time? And so, you know, one of the things that I have learned in my journey is, is that I like people and I like God and I want to talk to both of them, right? I want to talk to each other. I want to talk to them about one another. And so, and so over years, you know, I have figured out that I have some facility for that. I didn't start off that way, but the community has helped me discern that. My own energy has helped me discern that. Where do I want to spend my energy? What people have said to me about things that I've said to them over the years it helps me to get clear and clear and clear about how I want to spend my time. And so that has come out of lots of wilderness times with God, where I have been on my knees, literally at the side of my bed saying, you know, I, I you know, praying to God like, hey, man, you know, that's that's how we <laughs> that's how we talk sometimes. Hey, man, you know what I got is I got a bright mind. I got a big mouth and I love people. What can I do for you, God? And, and maybe that needs to be our Lenten prayer. You know, an inventory of what what the what the world has told you are your skills and gifts and attributes, and then say to God, I offer them to you now. And so I, I think that this is Lent is a great time for that. What if you prayed that prayer for five weeks? You know, we call it in the Episcopal tradition the prayer of oblation, which is here you are, God, what a wonderful God. I can't make my life more wonderful than you can make my life. So in this wilderness time, this you know, this uh, five weeks, uh, here I am, God, uh, help me to see. I want to see. And I think this is what's the last point I want to make, too, is, is that what would it be like if you said to God right now, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to hear. I'm really leaning in. 
I'm ready to hear. And that's what the wilderness is. And there's what God guarantees is, is that when we do that in sincerity, right, then downstream of that is when God just smiles and begins to decorate. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. (laughs) Bishop, thank you so much. And thank you listeners to listening to four people. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week.